I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, a very familiar passage. Jesus had taken his disciples to a very, in fact, to the northernmost part of Palestine. They were in the area of Caesarea Philippi. And it was interesting that as uh, they had come to this particular area, that as they looked around, there was something that was going to remind them of something that Jesus was going to say sometime during his lesson to them. As they looked around, there were rocks, rocks everywhere. And I'm not talking about little stones. I'm talking about huge bedrocks. In this particular area, in the northernmost part of Palestine, up near the city of Dan, there was Caesarea Philippi. And in that was where uh, Jesus explained to them some things that later on in this passage we're going to find out. Beginning in verse 13, Jesus said, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and some Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This was not the first time that Peter had confessed this confession. You will note in John chapter 6 that Jesus was talking to his disciples and many of them had, had gone back and walked no more with him. And Jesus turned to the twelve and he asked them the question, Will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But as you continue on in what Jesus said on this occasion, after Peter had made that sweet confession that he believed, and they, that is all of the apostles, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, that is, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now what Jesus was talking about is, as he observed the things that Jesus did, as he possibly heard the Lord God speak from heaven, understand that Peter knew that this confession was not some confession that men made. It was a confession that Peter made because of who Jesus is. And then, verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, not hell, Hades shall not prevail against it. Hades is the unseen realm. We're talking about death. And so what Jesus was saying is that death will not prevent the establishment of my church. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes people, as they read this particular passage, they say, well, Peter is the rock upon whom Jesus built the church. That's not true. In fact, as you read the words that I say unto thee, thou art Peter, the word Peter is indeed a similar word, Petros, to the word rock, Petros, Petra. But the word 
Petra means a large bedrock, but the word Petros means a small stone that you can pick up and throw. The Lord was not talking about Peter. The Lord was talking about the confession that Peter had made. And again, remind you that as they looked round about in the, sea, in the place where they were in northern Palestine, they saw huge bedrocks everywhere. And so it reminded them of what Jesus is saying right here. That upon this rock, I will build my church. The truth that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. A man by the name of Bob Russell wrote a book. The title of the book was When God Builds a Church. He tells about a man walking into a restaurant, uh, possibly himself. I'm not exactly sure who he was talking about. But he walked into a restaurant, and the name of the restaurant was the Pancake Factory. And he sat down at the table, and he asked them what the luncheon special was, And they said it's a grilled chicken sandwich with spicy Mexican sauce in a pancake factory. Mr. Russell said, I believe they've lost their focus on what they were really doing. You know, if I went into a pancake factory, I would expect to eat pancakes, wouldn't you? But that wasn't what they had. Well, when we look at the church, when God builds the church, and and what we're going to be looking at this evening, what? Lord, what will you have me to do with the church? What will you have me to do with the church? We've been using this theme in each lesson concerning something that the Lord would have us to do. And so this evening as we look at this, Lord, what will you have me to do with the church? And indeed it is the case that that God, Jesus, built the church. And if Jesus built the church, my question is, what's it supposed to do? What's it supposed to look like if Jesus built the church? Is it possible? Let me ask you, is it possible that we've lost our focus concerning the church? Do we ever major in minors and minor in majors? The Jews did. You remember where Jesus talked to them on one occasion about how the the Pharisees and the scribes, they paid tithe with their mint, anise, and cumin. But when it came to the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith, he said, you've left that undone. You didn't do it. And so what Jesus was saying is that you're majoring in minors and you're minoring in majors. And sometimes we do that even in our own lives. But in order to know what to do with the church, we need to know some things. And so this is what we're going to talk about this evening. I need to know, number one, what the church is. First of all, the church is a spiritual institution. You know, I told you about reading the book um, this past week, Baptism, the Wedding, the Believer's Wedding. Uh by Eplegard Smith. Brother Smith, during the course of writing this book, said that we cannot say the church is an institution or an organization or an establishment. Well, why not? It is an institution. It is an organization. It is an establishment. It is not a physical establishment. It is not a worldly establishment. 
It is not a secular establishment. It is a spiritual establishment. And I want to show you what I mean. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 18. In John 18, you recall that Jesus was put on trial, and he was standing before Pilate. Pilate came to the judgment hall, verse 33 of that chapter. And when he came to the judgment hall, he called for Jesus. And he said to Jesus when he, arose, when he arrived or when they brought him to him, he said to Jesus, Art thou the king of the Jews? And then Jesus answered and said, Sayest thou this of thyself, or did some other tell it thee of me? Did somebody else tell you this, or, or do you think this up on your own? Pilate answered and said, Am I a Jew? Now, no, Pilate wasn't a Jew. But he said, am I a Jew? He says, it's, the, it's your own nation. He said, it's the chief priests that have brought you and delivered you to me. What have you done? <laughs> what hast thou done? What did Jesus do? Well, you know what he did. He just simply did good. But he was still arrested and still tried and still crucified. But Jesus went on to explain, beginning in verse 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, he said, Then would my servants fight, and I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. What was Jesus saying? Well, he was saying that my kingdom is not of this world. It's not a physical, secular, worldly kingdom. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest that I am a king, and for this purpose, or to this end, was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I might bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I have an idea that some people have so missed the focus of the church that they don't know what they're talking about when they're talking about the church. It's about like the man who was trying to define a pronoun to his son. What is it about the church? Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. I want you to notice what happened on this occasion. I really uh, am amazed that the Pharisees and the scribes had so much audacity. They came to the Lord in verse 20 of, of Luke 17. And it says, and they demanded, they demanded, when is the kingdom going to come? And so Jesus said to them, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall you say, lo, here or lo, there. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Listen to what Jesus said. The kingdom will not come with observation. You're not going to see it coming down out of the heavens. And all of a sudden you're going to say, well, there's the church. You're not going to see it that manner. In fact, the Lord pointed out again the spiritual nature of the church when he said, the church is inside of you. Now, he didn't mean that, that from the literal standpoint. He was talking about from the spiritual standpoint, the church is you. Now, I understand that at that particular time, the church was not them, that it was not the Jews that 
he was talking to on that occasion, the Pharisees who demanded of the Lord, tell me, when is the kingdom going to come? Well, Jesus never did tell them. They would find it out later if they were willing to listen. First of all, the church is a spiritual institution. Second of all, the church is us. Now, if I want to make that a little uh, more um, close together, put a little narrowness in, in with that, I can just say the church is me. Right? The church is me. Now, now I'm, I understand that I don't make up the church. I'm not the sole makeup of the church, and neither are you. But the church is me. I'm talking about you and me. It is us. I am a member of the body of Christ, and so are you. And I'd like for you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me just a moment. Paul was talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, 13, and 14. And in those chapters, he was telling about telling the Corinthians how they had misused and abused spiritual gifts. And so he was trying to correct them on this. And he talked about the number of spiritual gifts that were given out by the apostles. And he lists those in chapter 12. And then after listing those, Jesus, or the apostle Paul began to enumerate this. Verse 12, beginning. For he said, the body is one. We're talking about the church. And have many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, he uses the physical body in connection with the spiritual body. And what he was saying, that, that our members of this body make one body, not many bodies. And this is what the religious world believes, that there are many bodies and... But where do they get that? They don't get it from the Bible. Jesus said, and Paul said, that there was going to be one. I said, I'll build my church. And Paul said, the body is one. Verse 13, for by one spirit, that is by the directions of one spirit, are we all baptized in one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. It's one body, but many members. Now look at verse 14, or 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. He said, therefore, not of the body. You know, I, I, I've never had my hand to be jealous of my foot. <laughs> uh, I've had maybe my foot be jealous of my hand because they, sometimes they're in trouble, but... I've never had my hands to be jealous of my foot, and I've never had my feet to be jealous of my hands. I've never had my eyes to be jealous of my ears. I've never had my nose to be jealous of my mouth. But in the body of Christ, you've got members that are jealous of, of one another. That shouldn't be. In fact, the Apostle Paul talked about that in this chapter. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we need to understand that you know, the, the ear can't say, well, I, you know, I don't like hearing him, so I'm just going to go off over there somewhere. I don't like watching Jesus, so I'm just going to take off over there and, and I'm going to get away from the body. You see, the church cannot do that. Neither can the physical body. You know, I had a, had a lady several years ago that was one of my instructors in a class. It was while I was attending Ball State 
community college. And um, she um, found out that I was a preacher after a few days in the class. And so when she found out I was a preacher, she wanted to know where I preached. And so I told her. And she said, well, I, I would have thought you were of a more conservative group. <laughs> and I thought, how could you be more conservative than the churches of Christ? And so one day, and I'm not sure whether it was that day, but one day in class, she um, stood up before the class. And I don't know why she talked about this, but she said, you know, if I was in church and the preacher preached on dancing or drinking, or she said, I'd get up and walk out. And I raised my hand and I said, now this is not her last name, this is her first name, Miss Sidney? And she said, yes. I said, you'd walk out on me. She said, Mr. Parker, come out here in the hallway. So I went out in the hallway. She said, I want to tell you something. I said, well, go ahead and tell me. She says, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. I said, are you really? <laughs> Yes. And she said, and they kicked me out of David Lipscomb. They wouldn't do that today, but they did then. She said, they kicked me out of David Lipscomb because I was teaching false doctrine. I said, well, good for them. She said, I go to Belmont. We accept everybody and anybody that believes in anything. I said, really? I said, you mean you would accept somebody that doesn't believe what Jesus teaches? She kind of gave me a funny look. She turned around and went back in the class. So I went back in and sat down. I never got an A in that class, by the way. <laughs> that was the, one of the few classes that I got an A, that I didn't get an A in. But uh, she didn't like me from the rest of the class onward. But I, t I told her, even out standing out in the hall, I said, look, I said, you're not going to treat me as one of those 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds that's sitting in your class. I said, I'm not an 18-year-old or 19-year-old, I said, I'm, you're not going to treat me like that. I said, you can talk about things if you want to. And I said, but I'm going to have to answer. And so again, things went on. But you know, I, I, this is the reason sometimes that I get disturbed and, 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 and troubled. And, and, and this is, this is what, I'm, what we're talking about here. The body, you know, you can't just say, well, I'm going to walk out. I don't want to listen to that. If it's from the Word of God, I've got to listen to it, folks. I have to listen to it. You remember Paul wrote to the Philippian church, Philippians 2 and verse 5, and he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word mind means disposition. The disposition that Christ had. Let the disposition of Christ. And how do I know what the disposition of Christ was and is? I know it because I read His Word. That tells me what his disposition was like. Let this mind be in you. And this is the reason I get disturbed sometimes because I hear people talk about the church that are members of the church, that are members of the body, as though they were never members of the body. In other words, they'll say, but do you know what they decided down there? Do you know what they did down there? Do you know what they said to me? Well, you see... All the time, they're members of the body of Christ. And why, why talk about it in that manner? It's hard to understand, but the church is us. Number three, it is the called out. And I have to tell you that the 
definition of the Greek word ekklesia means the called out. What are we called out of? Exactly what are we called out of? Well, we're called out of the world. If you look at what Paul, Paul was telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, you'll find out a little bit about what we're talking about when we talk about being called out of the world. Listen to what he said. He said, Be not therefore thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul was a prisoner in prison or in a house prison uh, of the Roman government. And so he said, be, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who hath, listen to him now, verse 9, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. With a what? A holy calling. We've been called to be holy. We have been called out of the world, no longer to live the way the world lives, no longer to be what the world is. And, and let me explain something to you, folks. If we're going to be like the world, if I'm going to do everything the world does as a Christian, then what kind of influence am I going to have in the church? I'll tell you how much you're going to have. That much right there. If I don't live the way Jesus Christ teaches within His Word, then I'm going to have zero influence in the world around me. So when I talk about the church being the called out, we are called out. We're called out of the world. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the excellencies of him that hath called you into virtue. Second Peter, first Peter chapter two, verse nine. The church is the kingdom. Our text shows this, the text in Matthew sixteen, when Jesus said, I will build my church. And then in verse 19, when he said, And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. And in the, same, in the same breath, what Jesus was saying, the church and the kingdom are the same thing. Now, we've got some people that have been teaching for years that, that the church and the kingdom are not the same. Sometimes we uh, refer to them as premillennialists. There are some that may not be premillennialists, but they don't believe that the kingdom has come yet. And that, I'm talking about even some of my own preaching brethren. Quotation marks. But have said that the kingdom and the church are not the same. How can they teach that when, when Jesus said, listen to me, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, somebody said, but the kingdom never did come because, you see, God intended for the kingdom to come. He intended to establish it in the first century, but he never was able to do it because the Jews wouldn't let him. That's what premillennialism teaches. In fact, that's what some of my own brethren would teach. Did you know? In fact, I'm going to give you a couple of passages. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, and Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Jesus told the apostles, he said, I'm going into Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going to be delivered to men. What for? To be crucified, to die, to die. But I'm going to be raised the third day. Glorious resurrection of Jesus. That's what he was talking about. He will be raised. But again, there are those who don't believe that, who think that the kingdom is still in the future. 
that God's going to establish a kingdom someday, and the church was just, as far as they were concerned, just a short uh, period of time, you know, as a substitute for what the kingdom was going to be. That's not true. It never has been true. Premillennialism split the church back in the 50, 1950s, even split the church in Gallatin. That is the reason why you have the Gallatin Church of Christ. It's not the Church of Christ. They are premillennialists, along with a number of other things. And I hope I'm not being uh, brass. <laughs> Maybe I am. I want you to know the truth. I want you to understand the truth. And for some reason, for some unknown reason, there are some people that have evidently not understood that, and so they've gone to that congregation of people. We need to know the church, what the church is. Number two, we need to know what business the church is in. You know, there are a few things that the church is not in. <laughs> Let me explain. The church is, in not, is not in show business. We're not. We're not in show business. Some people want to put on a show, and some people do put on a show, but we're not in show business. The church is not in the entertainment business. Uh, I'm not a comedian. I am not, uh, I'm not a joke teller, teller but, I, you know, I, I don't mind telling uh, something occasionally funny. I don't mind doing that, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not a comedian. If I were, I'd be somewhere else telling comedy jokes somewhere. But, but I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not a politician. Now, I may address some issues that, that are talked about in the political realm because I'm going to preach against things that are morally wrong, such as abortion, homosexuality, and other things that we find in, in the political world today. But I'm not a politician. The church, listen to me closely. I want you to understand what the church is, what business it's in. The church is in the saving business. Do you understand that? Even our benevolence program, and, and I know that, that, that Fountainhead has a good benevolence program where you help a number of people out with food. And, and Corinth does the same thing. We have people that come by all the time asking for, for groceries. We don't mind buying groceries for somebody that's hungry, especially when there's children involved, and so we do. But, but let me tell you, every, every time that... that we help someone who needs something from a physical standpoint. If it's benevolence, we're always helping them out also from a spiritual standpoint. At least we're trying. They don't always listen. But if we're helping people out physically, but we're not doing anything for them spiritually, that is, we're not trying to reach their soul, then let me tell you what we're doing. We're doing the greatest injustice that ever can be done to a man if we're not trying to reach his soul, whether it's benevolence or whatever it is. That's our responsibility. You know, I'm afraid, again, that we have lost focus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to notice what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13, verse 10. He said, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now, what are we talking about? The apostle was writing the book of Hebrews for this reason. There were Hebrew... Christians, Jewish Christians, who had begun to go back over into the world. They were going back to Judaism. And so all through the book, this is the reason why there was a contrast. The, the book of Hebrews is a contrast between the law of Christ and the law of Moses. 
And the Hebrew writer was showing how the law of Moses was not like the law of Christ. In fact, the Hebrew writer showed how the law of Moses had been taken out of the way. But here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse, uh, excuse me, 13 and verse 10, the Hebrew writer said, we have an altar. Now you say, what is our altar? You know, we talk about an altar sometimes. It's not a physical altar. It's a spiritual altar. It's not something you can put your hands and, and, and feet and, and eyes on. It's a spiritual altar. Well, let me ask you this question. What are the things that are accomplished on that spiritual altar? Two things. They're mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Watch what he said. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's the first thing that we're supposed to be doing on this altar. Offering the fruit of our lips, that's singing, that's praying, that's reading the word of God, that's teaching other people. Let us offer the fruit of our lips to our Father in heaven, to the Godhead. What's the second thing? Look at verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. What's the word communicate mean? It doesn't mean... For you and me to communicate in a conversation, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about writing a letter or writing notes or writing down something on email and sending that. What's he talking about to communicate? Well, what he's talking about is to distribute. You may remember in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul was saying, Let him that is taught, verse 6, let him that is taught in the word... Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, what's the Apostle Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about distributing to the one who teaching those necessities of life. It's food, shelter, clothing. So what we're supposed to be doing, those two things on the altar that we have. We have an altar. And every single one of us that are Christians are priests. That's the reason why Peter said what he did in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. A holy nation, a royal priesthood. A what? A royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. Why are we royal? a royal priesthood? Because our Savior Jesus Christ is royalty. He is the King. We are His subjects. And we are royalty. Not anything that we have done on our own, but because of Him. Now I want to close with these, with this particular point. I need to know what the church is supposed to do. What is the church supposed to do? Well, first of all, the church is supposed to work and cooperate together. And I told you we would go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to turn there if you would, 1 Corinthians 12, and I want you to watch what the apostle writes in verses 25 and 26. That there should be no schism. That's division in the body. He's talking about the body of Christ. But that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. You know, I have never in my life, I've never seen somebody with a broken arm or a broken leg or, or a finger or whatever. I've never seen them where if this arm's broken, this arm is angry. It's mad. It, it hits it. it. 
it, it gets mad at it. It doesn't do that, folks. You see what he's saying? Every member, my whole body suffers if one member of my body suffers. The same thing should be true in the spiritual realm of Christ, in the body of Christ. We also should rejoice if one member rejoices. I've had people say, well, you know, I just, I can't believe they inherited that money. I, I sure would have liked to have had some of that. I've heard people say that, folks. Shame on them. That's not our, that's not our mentality, or at least it should not be. We rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. Romans chapter 12. This passage in 1 Corinthians teaches us that we are to have unity. Nobody feeling more important than any other. Not having cliques here and there where they have no fellowship with other people. And look, look, look what John is saying when you read 1 John chapter 4. I'm not going to read that, but you can read it later. When John writes what he does, he talks about love. And he talks about how if we do not love, then we're not of God because God is love. God is love. If we do not love each other like we should, then let me tell you something. That's going to determine where we'll be in eternity. You remember later on in that chapter, he said, if you say that you love God, but you do not love your brother... He said, that, that really can't be. How can a man say that he loves God, but he doesn't love his brother, whom he has seen? We must love our brethren. The church is not only to work and cooperate together. The church is supposed to help others, and we've talked about that. We suggest that we need to stop asking, and I, I talked a little bit about this last night, we need to stop asking this question. What can the church do for me? What can the church do for me? Here's the question you need to ask. What can I as the church do for somebody else? What can I as a member of the body of Christ do for somebody else? That's the question I need to be asking. Someone told me about a lady that was an elderly lady. And she came to the elders and she told the elders in this congregation she said you know she said you're doing something for the young children the young people and you're doing something for the young women and you're doing something for the young men and you're having camp and what are you going to do for the elderly ladies <laughs> so the elders said okay we'll get some kind of a program for the elderly the elderly ladies so we'll just have a we'll have a elderly ladies lectureship or something i don't know what what it was going to be and the day they had it, she didn't show up. She didn't show up. We had it for you. We did it for you. But she didn't come. But again, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at, at it from the wrong aspect. I don't need to be looking at it. What can you do for me? I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm interested in what can I do for you? And when you start asking that question, and when you start consuming yourself with, with understanding that I need to be doing something, not somebody doing something for me, and there may be a time in your life where that might mean that might need to be the case. 
then we'll get to the question, we'll get to the answer of the question, what is the church and what's it supposed to do? What's it supposed to be like? You know, if we're the church and we're doing something for others, here's what we're going to be doing. Number one, we're going to be taking the gospel to the community, and I know that you do that here, and we do uh, that at Corinth. We're going to be taking the gospel to maybe the state or the, the nation, or we need to be taking the gospel to the world, and, and, and we support at Corinth a number of missionaries, and I appreciate our elders because they, they are interested in mission work, and, and that's what we're doing. We're involved in mission work. We're trying to save souls in other places as well as to save souls in this area. And so when you ask the question, what can I do for others as the church? I need to be taking the gospel. I need to be helping those who are in need. And I need to be taking advantage, listen to me, of every Bible class, of every worship service, of every program that the church is involved in. I need to be taking advantage of it so that I might be able to grow spiritually in the kingdom of God. If we'll do that, we'll answer the question, is what to the church, what should the church be? And Lord, what will you have me to do with the church? Now that I've talked about the church, and I've talked about what the church is and what we're supposed to be doing, let me ask you this question. Can you do anything in the church if you're not a member of the church? I have uh, never in my life had a broken bone. I've known of several people that have. If I had a broken bone and my arm or leg or whatever it was uh, was in such bad shape that I needed to amputate it, I'd amputate it. I'd take it off. Laid over there on the table, doctor, laid over there on the table. It's not a member of my body anymore. Now, to be a member of the body of Christ, you must get into the body. How do you get into the body? We talked about that Sunday evening. You get into the body by being baptized into the body. Now, that doesn't mean that hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, repenting of our sins, confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God before others... Now, we, we talked about all of those. We can prove it from the, from the Word of God. There may be some that don't believe that. We can prove it from the Word of God that that is our obligation if we're going to become members of that spiritual body of the church. Why would one, let me ask you, why would one not want to be a member of the spiritual body of Jesus Christ? It's hard for me to understand. The blessings that flow from that spiritual blood because of what Jesus did for me and you more than I deserve. But the Lord has given them to us. How about you this evening? Where are you? Are you in the body? Are you out of it? You're the only one that can answer that. And if you need to respond to the gospel, we encourage you to do so as we stand.